This is Chris Carlson, and welcome to this episode of the DI Guys podcast. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, Mike Cogdell. Mike, what's going on in the panhandle of Florida today? Chris, good morning. Um, I hope everything is, is good where you are in the great state of Kentucky. Things around here are pretty good. Uh, you know, springtime is, is just around the corner for us. I know it's February, but I do live in, and, and you know, just to reiterate, I live in so far west in Florida that um, I'm in central time zone. So um, our weather isn't exactly the keys. You know, we'll have 30, 40 degree days, but now we're, you know, we're 60s, a little bit of rain, things are good. And, you know, I'm just a little giddy, as I mentioned right before we started this podcast, that I am an Iowa grad, so I had to watch Caitlin Clark, you know, set the all-time NCAA record last night, chasing Maravich's record for all-time NCAA, which she'll probably get with the number of games left. And then she just threw down 49 to have an all-time high for her and a single game point total for Hawkeye Carver Arena. So for the Cogdell family, fun night. What about you guys? Ready to go? So, Mike, I don't want to take anything away from Caitlin Clark because she is, to me, an amazing basketball player. But I, you mentioned Pete Maravich, and you think about how we forget sometimes how great he was. He did it in three years with no three-pointers. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's going to touch that 44 points a game average. <laughs> so, you know, um, you just you just gave away our age, Chris, but that's okay. Um, I, I was lucky enough to watch him play. Don't remember LSU, but watch him play in the NBA. And even as a young child, it was pretty guys darn fun to watch and very motivating. And again, I, I love watching Kayla Clark. She is just an amazing basketball player and a real inspiration for every young girl out there who uh, – who wants to take her game to the next level. So kudos to her. Well, Mike, we're very honored today. We have a special guest, Max Schmidt, and I am really, really excited. So first of all, Max, thanks for joining us today. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you guys for sharing your platform with us. Yeah. So Max, we got some exciting things to talk about. But before we do, can you just give us a brief background of Max Schmidt? Sure. So I'm third generation in this industry. You know, it's it's by uh, it's always by accident, right? Not or unless it's by blood. So, uh, you know, it was no exception in my case. My grandfather started the agency. Um, he died very young, but was fortunate to recruit my dad in the industry where they got a couple of years together. Uh, and then my mom and dad really built up the agency over the next 25, 30 years before I came on board in 2009. So it's going on 15 years now and uh, just specializing in disability and long-term care. We like to call it just the, the whole spectrum of disability. Now, Max, it's truly a family affair because your sister's also involved in the business. Is that correct? That is correct. I don't want to overlook that. So thanks for shining a light on all the good work she does as well. She's She does mostly the office management, um, you know, the more of the executive type roles. I'm just the, the lowly sales guy. So Max, uh, your organization is called YetWorth. Tell us a little bit about YetWorth. So YetWorth is this concept that came to us through some carrier marketing material years and years and years ago. Um, and it was something we started to incorporate more and more into our discussions back when we were working with a, a whole host of different um, markets, if you will. So, you know, I think when you're talking about traditional DI sales, disability insurance sales, you're looking at uh, working with folks in the employee benefits arena, in the you know multi-lines insurance brokerage space, those producers who are life only, or maybe they're doing some financial planning using permanent life insurance, 
And then every once in a while, you'll get somebody who just is kind of investment focused, has somebody who asked them about DI. So there's really those four different tranches that we were working with. And customarily, we're finding this yet worth concept to really be resonant with those folks who are doing more of the wealth planning, whether that's, you know, through using life insurance as, as the primary focus there or uh, the investment management side. So as we learned, uh, as I learned, that my process is best done on a more consultative basis. It's not very transactional. You know, we like to get in the weeds and do the presentation alongside the brokers. Um, you know, there's going to be more of that attraction towards the folks who have this big picture mindset around retirement income planning, because that's ultimately what yet worth is, right? So we're, we're protecting not somebody's, you know, ability to pay their mortgage, utilities, and groceries. That's kind of the, that's kind of what we hear a lot from the, some of the carriers. And that's super important for a certain demographic. But realistically, most of our clients are not going to have to scrounge for their next meal or have to figure out how they're going to pay their mortgage. What happens is they take it right out of their retirement accounts. And so, you know, it doesn't feel, you don't feel that pain for quite some time until it, you know it, the everything comes home to roost and, and then it's time to retire and you realize you siphoned half of your retirement account trying to cover up those three four five years of income loss uh when you know way back when when you were disabled so that understanding of get worth being this principle that you are going to experience a loss of future net worth if you don't take the precautionary measures to protect your earnings during your working years. Max, you said something that was very interesting. I'm going to go back to your business model. Back sure. in the day, you were probably like the traditional BGA. Somebody called in for a quote, you emailed it to them, and you hoped you got an application back. And what right. you said earlier is you've kind of gravitated more to we want to make sure that we're involved in the process because when you are involved, the success goes through the roof. Exactly. Yeah. And those numbers, you know, we started tracking them probably about five years ago and it was eye popping to say the least. You know, it, those cases where we got touches and interface with the client were significantly more um, uh, likely to convert. And so that meant we felt like we should make a move towards uh, emphasizing that. Uh, so, you know, it, it's been and there's no no shade at all to people who like to focus on the transactional side of things and they're playing the numbers game. I totally understand that. We simply didn't have the bandwidth to play that game. So we needed to focus more on our conversion ratio as opposed to casting a wide net and law of large numbers and all that fun stuff. It was, all right, how do we actually, you know, get the most from each squeeze um, and, and, uh, and, and really make this the most efficient type of uh, uh, model as possible. Now, Max, a few years ago, you created a program called Dingo, and I know it's had it's come a long way since it's since you first uh, announced it. But could you kind of yeah. give us maybe the genesis of Dingo and then how far it's come and what it looks like today? Yeah, so the, the genesis really, it was, a, it was twofold. So my mom started experiencing some symptoms, um, you know, and we don't have to get into that whole story, but. A long story short, she ended up having a lung transplant back in 2020, and there was a lot of things that led up to that. She had a couple back surgeries and found out this mass was decaying her spine and her lungs. So, you know, as, as she kind of went through the health system process, 
Um, we opened up a DI claim on her and suddenly we realized as a small business, you know, with, with one of our ringers that, you know, our, our insurance agents absolutely loved talking to all of our partners, you know, they needed her insights from an underwriting perspective, from a case management perspective. She was a super valued asset to many, many, many of our partners. And so trying to backfill her role became really difficult. Um, I think it was like about four months before my, my first child was set to be born. I realized, okay, we got to do something about this. You know, stuff is really kind of hitting the fan with my mom. Um, and we've got to, we've got to really, you know, make sure that our technological processes are clean enough to, to take, take on some of that lift that, that we could no longer, you know, send over to her. So I learned how to code a little bit, just enough to be dangerous. Um, and created basically like a, an e-application system for most of our primary carriers in California where our business is located. And um, that turned into a really cool little drop ticket model that a lot of our agents enjoyed using. It was very simple, very, very secure, very clean, um, and allowed the agents to no longer have to really drive the application process because you could just send a link out to a client and get a drop ticket. Very simple. Um, and so, you know, that helped a lot. We, we would then transpose everything onto the DocuSign and, and send it out to the applicant to sign and then to the broker to sign. So that's really the core of what Dingo was and how it started. As we've evolved, as Dingo's evolved, it's become a little bit more adaptable so that now we're using it as a quote comparison summary as well. So it's really easy to, to upload certain proposals designate what the what the terms are kind of like you might do on a spreadsheet but this already has all the riders and definitions programmed into it and it has those drop ticket and the application links as well which are now you know run on the DocuSign API so it's just a one-touch process for your clients so they don't have to you know enter their information wait a day and then get a signature request it's all very smooth and transactional in that in that regard um, but it also allows the broker to have a more effective conversation around the different options. We can just upload new quotes as we kind of evolve the case because, you know, most times we're not selling the first, you know, four carriers that we're showing. It's going to be an iteration of, of some of these uh, original quotes. So, you know, you can just load them up into the system set the comparison and, you know, designate the app links and, and, you know, send it back to the client and they can immediately apply whenever they're ready. Now is, is that available only to yet worth producers or is that available through other uh, BGAs? It is available to other BGAs as well. This is not a yet worth uh, project. It, it's something that yet worth uses a lot exclusively uh, and almost exclusively, I should say, maybe 95% of cases are flowing through Dingo. Um, there's still some who really enjoy the PDF um, or, you know, or maybe Dingo's part of the process where they're taking the drop ticket and then entering it into the carrier e-application system of their choice. So it's it's become really adaptable so that you can use it however you like, but it is available to all GAs and all um, brokers too. You know, you, that business doesn't have to flow through Yetworth at all. In fact, we, we don't, we, we engineered it in a way where it wouldn't be like that because we just want to help people scale the disability side of things without having to reposition hierarchies and, and structures. You know, we really don't want to get too, in, too intertwined with all that stuff. So it's really yet worth doing its own thing using Dingo technologies and other GAs can adopt Dingo technology as well. 
Well, Max, I want to shift a little bit and uh, turn the topic to social media, because I know it's something that you are heavily involved in. And I'd really like to get from your perspective as a, the lack of a better term, a wholesaler in the DILTC space, how you're using social media and what was the aha moment that says, you know what, I need to go all in here because this is an effective way for me to market. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it too much because I feel like there's this tendency to say social media is the answer to all your marketing problems. It's really not because it, it takes a lot of work and it does take skill too. So I, I feel like it bears mentioning that you've got to be able to recognize if you have, you know, social media presence. And that doesn't mean if you don't have it, you're you're not allowed to play in the sandbox here. It just means it's something that you know you're going to have to work on and don't don't pull the wool over your own eyes here and 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 try to think that this is something that's just going to magically start flowing your pipeline. Um, the what I have noticed and been lucky enough to understand over the years is, you know, I I do have a pretty good written word presence with my letters and and newsletters and um, and emails and just copy comes kind of naturally to really everyone in my family. So it wasn't hard to start you know, delivering in a post format and being, you know, I'm 36. I think Facebook started the same year, you know, I, I went to college. So we, I was like part of that first generation of Facebook users. And so social media is kind of a native thing for, for who I am as an adult, essentially, too. So I don't know what combination of that is important. But if so, social media is a natural attraction to you, you like consuming, I would say you're probably ready to start creating as well. And just you don't have to try too hard. I mean, you just got to look to some of the people that you really enjoy um, consuming content from and just mimic that and, and just put your own spin on things. And once you really start getting going, feel like your antenna is always up for content. And that's where it became a lot easier. It's just acknowledging like, OK, I've committed to a, a post a day during the work week. So five posts a week. This was about 50 weeks ago. And I told myself I wouldn't make a full assessment until week 52. But here we are nonetheless. Um, and so, it, you know, once I made that commitment, it was really easy to start seeing content that could come from these conversations. And it becomes almost more like a documentation process as opposed to trying to come up with this new imaginative, imaginative slam dunk uh, concept every day. Uh, that's just not realistic. It's not feasible. And, you know, as you go along, you're going to get those sensational posts that do garner 10,000 views or something like that. Um, but it takes a while to get to that point. You have to build trust with your audience and, you know, hopefully you've got an audience already, a network of clients or, or colleagues and, and huge shout out to all the colleagues in the DI space who are, you know, probably are my, the primary drivers of my traffic. Um, as we, you know, are all kind of a, a community together in this very cottage industry. So it takes a village and it takes it's a grind and it, it takes a lot of work to to really engage people as you build content too and you can't overlook that either because you're not going to get any business unless you're reaching out and thanking those people for sending you like and helping you know increase your engagement increase your your virality uh from those posts and and uh and just making sure that you're expressing that gratitude and and that can start some interesting conversations with people now, Max, I know that you're very active on LinkedIn. Are you using any other platform in your social media uh, reach out? Not yet. No, it, it's not something I've I've really been attracted to. 
Um, and I think that's a big piece of it too, is just not forcing too much on social media because that comes across pretty easily, I would say. So, you know, Twitter's one where I've been encouraged by other people who've kind of done big things on LinkedIn. Um, you know, you got to get in on Twitter or TwitFin or whatever they call it um, in the financial space, but it's not, it, it's not calling my name quite the same way LinkedIn is. So um, I really like what's happening on LinkedIn. I'm just going to stick around there. And then as far as Facebook and Instagram goes, as a wholesaler, it's hard. It's hard to, to really see what's happening there. I like LinkedIn because that's where my, my target audience is. There's tons of financial advisors all over the place on LinkedIn. And that's who we're working with most effectively. So it makes sense to, to play in that space. Well, one last question before I turn it over to Mike. What's surprised you most about the receptivity of your post uh, from the people on LinkedIn? What surprised me most about the receptivity of my posts on LinkedIn? You know, I, I don't think there's anything that surprised me too much on that front. I mean, there, there's been a few things that I, I think are pretty consistent with, um, with what I would have expected right out of the gate. Um, but you know what? Actually, one thing that has surprised me is the more authentic I am with my own struggles, my own vices, if you will, my own, um, you know, personal story, the more engagement that gets, which is counterintuitive because you think of LinkedIn as this place where, you know, it's, it's for business. It's not, you don't want to turn it into a Facebook, but yet most people do engage when you have more of these authentic personal moments. And so, you know, you got to save those in the back pocket. It can't be every day, right? But, uh, you know, every once in a while, it's good to just give people a life update on what's going on with you. One thing I was really open about this past um, this past uh, 14 months is my sobriety. I, I, I stopped drinking back in December 2022. And, uh, you know, just as as a project, I realized I was kind of just fittering away my time in the evenings and using it as a way to sort of self-soothe and nothing too crazy abusive. But it was just getting to this point where, you know, it, you know, those weekends out where I did kind of let loose was I was letting loose a little too much. And and those evenings at home was just like, you know, I could be working. I could be doing, you know, I could be reading to the kids. I could be doing more productive things around the house, not just kind of melting over the couch to watch a football game. So that's that's something that was really important to me last year, just to kind of kick that habit. In. And people have really, really been receptive to that. So that's been cool to share. And, and I do encourage people to, to get personal, despite the temptation to keep it all professional. That's awesome. So, Mike, I know you're dying to ask Max some questions specific to DI. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, Chris, thanks, Max. I think you've covered some things. Um Pretty decent here. First question, uh, one, uh, appreciate the vulnerability and the authenticity. Um, as you know, I think I've known you since you started in the business. So, um, I call that, you know, what a, a relationship with somebody is knowing who they are. I think that's extremely important. And the fact that you do that, um, whether it's in print on social media, it, it doesn't matter. It's no different than having a lunch with somebody and realizing somebody has three children and you know their names and they and they have a spouse because when someone says, yeah, I got a relationship with that guy and I go, well, does he play golf? Well, I don't have any idea. And you've heard that before too, right? For people. Oh, well, yeah. What you're doing, I, I think is, you know, it, it's almost like a trade, which you know, for me is fairly new. Um, 
I'm a neophyte with with social media for the most part, but I find it interesting. And yeah, I do read your stuff. Um, and and you know, I've got you know, it's like I know you. Um, I, you know, I know about your family. It, that's no different than having lunch and breakfast with people, coffee. Um, you know, just hanging out, going for a jog and having that four mile conversation or whatever you do with people that, you know, you want to have a relationship with. So my question is fairly easy. When you do this, how does somebody ultimately reach back out to you? In other words, how, really quickly, how, soup to nuts, how do you get a new client doing this? Do they call you on the phone, which is what my cognitive would do, as you well know, or do they just start corresponding through social media? Do they just start sending you emails? Uh, do they send you a text if they have your mobile? Tell, tell me how that works. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's there's really two pockets where we've developed a lot of business from this LinkedIn strategy over the last 50 weeks. Um, the, the one is, to your point, like people see this stuff. They don't always engage. You know, I don't I don't see too many likes from you, Cogdell. Not calling you out, but just saying there's it's cool to hear that you're seeing that stuff because. You know, it, 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 I think that's really the most common way people engage is they consume it, they read it, they don't necessarily give it that like or make that comment or anything, but the consistency keeps you top of mind, right? So that's where I've seen, you know, brokers from years ago come back into the picture. They're like, hey, man, I saw you post something about this uh, and just wanted to re-engage on that front. Like I did a lot around California long-term care legislation this last year. Um, tons of employee benefit brokers uh, reached back out. Um, people that we've not really made an effort with over the last several years, but they're they're asking questions and they're sending some individual business, and we're we're getting a few things in motion here for on on the worksite front. So there's a lot of cool things happening in that space. Uh, and then on you know as far as attracting new brokers, new advisors, that was by far my favorite. Um, you know. The favorite result from this project is because once you put yourself out there in that vulnerable and authentic way so that people really understand my voice and kind of where I'm coming from, it was it immediately allowed me to kind of build um, or attract really um, sort of a tribe. And and that sounds a little more um, a little more, uh, I guess, uh, relational, you know, where everybody's relationing with each other. But, you know, you, you find your people. Right. So. I'm putting myself out there. People who are similar are seeing that and there's immediately an attraction there. So we've developed two really good brokers out of this. We submitted probably a total of about 10 cases over the last year. So, you know, we're not, we're not starting a new empire here via LinkedIn. It's been about a year and I've got two really solid people through this project, but you know, that's two, you know, that we needed to, to really build and grow this year. So that's been uh, that's been really cool. And, and the way those conversations started was really from, you know, them liking something, me just reaching back out saying, hey, thanks for this. You know, would love to learn more about your practice, see if there's any way, you know, that we can help you you grow and what you're doing. And, and if that person's receptive, they'll reach back out. I'm not, you know, sending them three or four follow ups. It's really just one attempt. And if that attraction point is there, they'll say, yeah, sure, let's do something. And I'll send a calendar link and we'll get a, 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 a meeting on the books and and uh, you, go, you take it from there. So it's not rocket science, but it does take some work to, to kind of see it all. Well, that's awesome. And to my defense, Max, I told you I'm a social media neophyte, but I've got a 16 <laughs> and 
almost 13 year old daughter. So I'll have them teach me where the like button is and I'll go ahead and click it every now and then for you because uh, I can scroll through stuff and don't do anything. So again, lesson learned for me today. I, I learned something today. I just have to have somebody show me what to do. I have all the stuff. I just don't really do it other than read it and move on. So that right. being said, thank you. Not, and next question, and it's along the, the same lines um, or, or what you just alluded to. And that's, you probably had lots and lots of we'll call what they are is likes. And the fact that you said there's two, you know, it's no different now than I, I think you would agree than it was 30 years ago. Maybe we did sit down and do coffee and everything else. And I, and I would agree with you. It's not easier. The fact that you said it's two. I mean, when I've trained young brokers or wholesalers, it's like, you know, you're going to meet a hundred. And if you get two out of that, you're wildly successful. And I think we would all agree because if we got 50 out of a hundred, we would all be retired. Don't you think that's a fair statement? <laughs> it's fair enough, yeah. And yeah. So I think you're doing the right thing. And another thing that I would ask or mention is an empire does, you know, it grows slowly. So I think, you know, to your credit, you're on the right track. I mean, I find this stuff very interesting. Even, you know, I don't poo-poo it at all. It's just it's so foreign to me that I find it, interesting in the change in the world i remember it wasn't so long ago that um i said how would google ever make money well you know i obviously really can't see the forest for the trees on occasion i guess um question you mentioned uh eb employee benefit brokers for those that um maybe aren't sure what eb is tell me about eb brokers in general and specifically um in the world of um group insurance and how you figure out or try to help them say that's just part of an income protection plan for lack of a better term yeah so the eb space is one i just could never quite crack frankly you know doing the gsi thing in that realm it, I, I don't know what i'm doing wrong but it was not really a space where i've ever made any significant amount of traction so not sure I can, I'm super qualified to answer that question, but, you know, I know the few cases that I have done, you know, it, it's been it, kind of a perhaps a different approach. I don't know how the really successful people are, are bringing it to the table, but where where we've talked about it and where we found, you know, any semblance of traction is when we're working with, you know, people who are mostly in the Bay Area, right, where it's a very kind of egalitarian mindset. You know, you want to have this. Everybody needs to have the same thing which is hilarious because, you know, of course, the income inequality is off the rails there. But um, the, there's this mindset that everybody's got to have the same benefits. So bringing that to the table, you know, it made them a little more comfortable to have these discussions around, OK, let's let's make sure that everybody does have that 60 percent income replacement or 66 percent income replacement, because right now we can see everybody who's making less than 150K does have that with your $10,000 group LTD plan. However, Everybody who goes beyond that threshold, everybody who has an income beyond that threshold, which is like, you know, all your significantly more valued employees who you pay a lot more, those folks do not have 60% income. So let's just make sure that everybody has the same and take that egalitarian approach. And that works in the Bay Area to a certain degree. But again, there's, there's some employee benefit brokers who are way better at it than at explaining this stuff than I am. And do you work in the group market at all? Not typically, no. We're we're mostly working with financial advisors. And, and another question, and again, I don't know. What about property casualty people? No, yes, would like to. 
that's a would like to for me. And, and there's some pretty interesting things that we're building out on Dingo that are going to make it way easier for them to engineer these conversations. And we're really talking about selling with a link, right? So we on Dingo, you're able to, to you know, set yourself up with what we call a Dingo link, which allows you to just disseminate that link wherever you want. You could spray and pray all day if you want to do that. That way, um, you know, we always say it's better to, to engineer a conversation by actually you know, developing the need before you just spray this link out there everywhere. But, you know, with the, with the client base that you already have a lot of trust built with, I feel like some PNC brokers can really easily move to that next step and, and deliver on the DI framework. And so the way this link works is, you know, the client can drive through the process. They can get a couple instant quotes uh, with a couple carriers that have allowed us to, to connect to their APIs. And so, with those two carriers, you know, we'll send out a series of three quotes um, from, you know, whichever carrier works best based on their occupation and demographic information. And then from there, they can request more quotes to shop the market and their broker can, you know, we'll, we'll actually, or, you know, the GA, whoever's set up to be the GA will get that notification. Hey, this person, here's all the information they input. They've requested more quotes. Here's the quotes they're looking at. And you can just upload, you know, the next, you know, the second, third, fourth, fifth carrier, however many you want to add to the picture, and then attach all the e-application links and let them run with it. So it's a really easy process for PNC brokers. I don't know that EB would really take to it quite as easily, but, um, you know, when you're talking about fully underwritten insurance for business owners, I, I'm really confident that this system's gonna gonna do something good once we once we get it out there in the next couple months here. Next broad brush, broad brush question, excuse me, um, and kind of the catch all the, uh, of, of our industry, which you've been in now for 15 years. And as you will readily admit, you're one of the youngers that's in our industry. I think that's fair to say, don't you? Yeah. I know a lot of people are reminding me that I'm, that I'm it, kind of, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. Matt, big question is what do you see the future of the disability insurance industry going forward? What would you like to see too? Two questions, two parts. What do you see the future and what would you like to see? Yeah, I, I feel like looking at the numbers here, it's a, it's turning into a GSI game and it's, it's become a lot more employee benefits driven. Um, you know, just looking at the, at the last IDIS meeting, uh, that we had in Portland, Maine, uh, right in the, in, um, in the backyard of Milliman. They came and gave us an, an awesome portrait of what the industry looks like. And it's like 50% GSI, which, you know, if we were talking about this 10 years ago, I think it was like, it was nascent, right? It was just starting out. So the fact that it's grown to take up half of our market share is really, really remarkable. Um, so, I mean, if that trend persists, the individual space, I think, you know, there's always going to be a market for that because people need individual coverage. Not everybody has access to, a, a, you know, a, a group employer that's willing to, um, you know, a look at the DI cost and and what that means, or really believe in the protection itself. But also, you know, they just don't have the negotiating power in a small in a small business. So, I really like the idea of more and more guarantee issue options. We're already seeing a few of these little trust products pop up that are kind of ancillary or corollary to uh, group LTD markets, where you've got this two to ten life business. So we're doing quite a bit more in that space now where, you know, we'll get these mom and pop shops, businesses like ours. So I feel really qualified to talk about this because 
you know, we no, we no, we certainly were not expecting my mom to go out on disability at age 55, but here we are. And so it was one of those scenarios where, you know, we were super fortunate that we practiced what we preach. She had two disability policies and actually a, uh, a chronic illness rider on her life insurance policy that paid out as well. So she was taken care of. But if we didn't have those in place, the question was going to be, holy moly, where are we going to get this money to pay my mom and dad to keep them on track for retirement? We probably would have had to do something really, uh, something really um, like perhaps illegal or or suspect, at least for the, from the IRS's perspective. So it probably would have looked something like paying my dad twice as much so that they could get to that point for retirement. Um, and then what, what the business would be left holding the bag. Nobody would be able to, you know, we wouldn't be able to reinvest back into the business like we were able to do in, in the scenario where she had disability insurance. So the other thing with that is, you know, those small businesses where you're able to get these guarantee issue benefits is you're outsourcing the decision to the insurance company instead of you having to be the bad guy to your, perhaps your own family member, right? So this is a scenario where we would have had to establish when we were going to cut my mom off um, financially. Of course, like I just said, we probably would have found some some back-end way to, to get her um, paid, but it would have been to the business's detriment. So the question is, like, do you ever want to, as a business owner, do you want to be in that position where you have to be the one to make the call? Somebody's going through probably the worst moment in their life right now trying to recover from a cancer diagnosis or MS or just get back on their feet after a, a serious procedure, then you're the one who's saying, actually, you know what, we haven't seen you for a few months and now we're not going to pay you anymore. What a horrible position to put your clients in if you're not having these conversations, right? So allow the insurance company to be, quote unquote, the bad guy, the ones to determine when that income stock stops, because guess what? They're also the good guy because they're paying out the benefits. So the business doesn't have to do any of the financial planning on the back end to keep these employees paid. You're completely outsourcing both their paycheck and the decision. It's a no-brainer for small businesses. Well, for your own family, the upside for you is uh, you didn't have to be creative by any stretch because you guys did prior planning to prevent, we all know what, poor performance. Spot on. Spot on. Yeah, exactly. We're so blessed to to be in that position where everybody was insurable. She had her policies and, and everything paid out exactly like it was supposed to. Weird how that works. And, and in part B, just really quickly, what would you like to see? And it could be product-wise, carrier-wise, probably, you know, more the carrier, not the distribution piece. What yeah. would you like to see that you don't see currently or do not see currently? Oh, man, I've got some crazy ideas, Mike. I that's don't okay. Know. Tell me one. That, know. we, that's what we like to do here. Throw out, <laughs> throw out at least one good crazy one. Because that's that, oh, right. well, plenty of crazy ones. The vision, I, you know, I would like to see something that's a little bit less occupation specific. So it's easier for people to kind of meet out where their, where their benefits are going to be. And I know that means there's some winners and some losers because we're dialed in right now from an occupation class standpoint. We've got like 10 different occupation classes if you look at both medical and non-medical and you know, A to 6A on the non-med side. So, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of, um, we're really dialed in from a, from an underwriting standpoint and the rate standpoint, you know, two or three occupation classes with that simplification of the industry would be so much easier for people to start engineering these conversations. I feel like it would be easier to develop tools for more access so that people could just go 
and seek out their own benefits as long as there's more and more of an industry talking about this. I feel like right now that we're such we're such gatekeepers, right? In this very cottage industry, not a lot of people specialize in this stuff. And, you know, there's probably a thousand or less, honestly, in the United States who really focus on disability insurance as part of their practice, which is crazy to me. So you've got to, I feel like you've got to create some more access in the marketplace. That's one way to open up the doors, in my opinion. And then we can get really esoteric and start talking about blockchain and stuff, which hasn't really been that much of a topic of conversation in years where we've, we've seen more AI take, take on some resurgence here from a tech standpoint. But the, you know, making sure that instant payments are, are paid out, uh, instant benefits are paid out when a certain medical billing code is processed in the claim framework. So there's just simple ways to adapt the, these new technology, technology solutions on the claim side that I think would make our industry feel a lot more secure and less like an insurance company is being judge and jury on a claim scenario based on claims culture, because that's even a thing. A blockchain kind of adjudication framework would really make that more of a, a, a more instant process and also more of a, you know, a, an algorithmic process that takes the judge and jury and sort of that judgment out of it. And it's really just based on billing codes instead. Max, I couldn't agree with you more. And hopefully, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a while as well. Um, hopefully we'll see it someday. At least I hope that you get to see it because I think it's time to, to, you don't have to shake it up completely, and I think you would agree. But you know what? If you could start to make some subtle changes, as you well know, you're selling almost the same exact product that probably your grandfather was selling. At least <laughs> your father and mother were, because I've known them for a very long time. And, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that you know somebody needs to put the creative hat on and start to think about other ways of doing this. It's it's it actuarially can be just as safe, but not so scary and complicated. And Chris, with that, I'm going to run that back to you. And Max, I can't thank you enough for taking your time with me this morning. It's awesome. So Max, I got a closing question for you. You mentioned it earlier. So what, what's the reluctance of carriers to share APIs with people like yourself who are trying to spread the gospel, if you will, with a program like Dingo? You know, it's that's a good question I've asked myself a million times over. Um, I, you know, without I feel like it's hard to get a direct response from the carriers on this, but where we've been met with the most pushback is when uh, it is is in view of this concern that they're just getting spreadsheet. And you know, of course, the rebuttal there is, well, you are getting spreadsheeted regardless. So maybe that's not such a genuine concern, but they do try to hamper that where they can if they're not being represented fairly. And so that's why we, we've really tried to advance the conversation to bring carriers in as partners in this dialogue so that we can represent them the way that they feel they ought to be represented. Um, but that's their concern, I think, is just understanding that um, perhaps a technology is going to find the sweet spots uh, where maybe they either are going to get oversaturated in a certain market or, um, you know, they're just not going to be represented uh, quite the same way with all of their beautiful enhancements that just they have. Um, you know, I feel like there's there's more of a story that they want to tell and an API connected to an, a quote aggregation system doesn't quite uh, it doesn't it doesn't hold up that narrative that they're trying to get across quite the same. Yeah, the unfortunate thing is their story is not getting told. So they're uh, kind of shooting themselves in the foot. Amen. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. 
Max, this was a great episode. I really appreciate you sharing things about your organization, your thoughts about where the industry is and where it's going. So uh, I, I think I can speak for Mike is, you know, thanks for your time. And we really appreciate uh, all your contributions to the industry. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate you guys and, and everything you do. You guys are legends. So awesome to be here. Thank you. Max, keep up the good work. Appreciate you. Thank you.